conversation with former House Speaker Beth Harwell on a variety of subjects, including her successor, Glenn Cassida, and other legislative issues. Welcome to Grand Divisions. This is the week of November 4th. I'm Joel Ebert. And I'm Natalie Allison. We've got a lot to cover this week as usual. We hope you enjoyed the last two episodes, which were our reminiscence on Operation Rocky Top. If you haven't checked it out, please go ahead and download. Uh, It's got a lot of interesting material, but now we are back to our regularly scheduled uh, type of show. Uh, So, you know, there's a lot to cover in this interview with Beth Harwell, but we hope you find it interesting. Again, she's the former House Speaker. She's been out of her position for just shy of a year, and she's got some thoughts on a whole host of issues. So here's the interview we did last week. Joining us today on the podcast is former House Speaker Beth Harwell. Thank you for coming on. Absolutely. Good to be with y'all. Um, we, we, you know, we've got uh, a lot of time since you've been in office now. It's yes. been, what, a, a, just under a year, I guess. That's right. That's um, right. W- tell us what's life been like uh, now that you're outside of public office. Yeah, life outside the legislature, huh, I guess. <laughs> there, well, is, you, there, yeah, is there is. Yeah, there is. There is. Well, I certainly miss public policy, and, and a lot of the folks that I worked with, I, I do miss them. But I'm getting to do some good things right now. Um, I'm serving on advisory boards of a couple private companies, which is a new challenge for me. Interesting. I'm learning a lot from mm-hmm. doing that. And then... And I'm also doing a little bit of um, professorship uh, at MTSU. I'm a distinguished professor there, so that's where I go after I leave y'all. And just doing a couple seminars there. Okay. And and what kind of topics are you covering? Well, actually, they're giving me kind of free reign. So I have two things that I'm interested in, in developing a little bit. One, you might be interested in, you and Natalie. Um, maybe I'm, we'll audit the class. Th- th- maybe. <laughs> yeah, or I might have you uh, as guest speakers there. <laughs> but I, one of them is kind of restoring credibility to journalism. Oh. And, and I think that's an issue that, that we need to kind of discuss as a society. And then the, whole, the other one is maybe a, a seminar on the concept of civility in political discourse. Mm-hmm. I mean, politics has always been a rough and tumble business, but it seems like there's somewhat of a need to demonize uh, the other viewpoint. Mm-hmm. Remind listeners, how long were you in public office? You started in 1988? Eight, yes. Is that right? So a long time. Yeah. I was speaker for eight years. Yeah. Um, so, you know, as all of that experience, uh, what are some things that you would uh, remind people or tell people that are heading into or interested in heading into public office mm-hmm. as, you know, something that was kind of a cornerstone for you? Well, you know, I think some of the best advice I got was when I lost. The first time I ran, I lost. and I remember, That was in 86, yeah, right? Yeah, and I remember Senator Alexander pulled me aside and said, um, tell me why you want to serve. And I think it's important for people that want to enter public life to understand why they want to serve. Um, I, I also think it's really important to be connected to your community because uh, it gives you a feel for what they're interested in and what they're concerned with. Um, but the bottom line is, um, you know, it's all about helping people that need um need help. Um, government's not a bad word. There is a purpose for government. And I think uh, that's necessary for people who want to enter public life. As we talk about the the purpose of government, mm-hmm. um, let's let's switch to talking about health care. That's um, mm-hmm. obviously something that, that comes up a lot sure. uh, when you're at the legislature. And uh, during your time as speaker, the, the General Assembly was faced with the decision of whether to expand Medicaid mm-hmm. under the Affordable Care Act. Um, 
did not do that. Right. And, you know, we are we are at a place now where the, the legislature this session just passed um, a bill requiring the governor to negotiate a Medicaid block grant with the federal government. Um, but let's back up to to Medicaid expansion. So uh, as a refresher, where were you on that? What was your stance on, on Governor Haslam's uh, effort to do that? Well, I, I, number one, I commend Governor Haslam because he worked diligently on that. And and I was in on just a few of those discussions with CMS in Washington, D.C. And it is a very complicated, convoluted process. Um, it's not so easy as, as one may think. I think he put together a really good uh, plan. I think it was one that would have been sustainable for our state. Um, keep in mind, this state is is careful when it comes to expansion. You know, it's, it's uh, not something new to us, those especially those who've been in public life for one t- a long time. You remember when Governor Bredesen, the Democrat, came in, he had to rein back in the cost of 10 care because it, and it was gut wrenching what he had to do. It was not easy. But when you let a program, an entire program, get out of control, when you're a state government as opposed to federal government, there is no funny money. You actually have to balance your budget every year. So we knew we could never let this program get out of control. And I think that's what made the legislature very hesitant to move forward with Gover- Governor Haslam's program. Reflecting back on it, I I think it was a a very good program. I really do. I think it was fiscally conservative. I think we could have managed it. I think we had learned our lessons uh, from expanding 10 care too quickly. Um, And who knows what this block grant could look like. I have my concerns um, uh, with it, but I think ultimately if it's if the legislature is going to be wise, you're going to see a duplication of some of the things that Governor Haslam had proposed. What are what are just a couple of those concerns that have stood out to you most during this process of talking about the block grant? <clears throat> just that it's um, it, it sounds easy, but it's not. <laughs> OK, so that when you get some lump sum of money, what that does is free the federal government. I mean, if I were the federal government, I'd be all for it. Yeah, here's your money. Now, it's all your baby. Um, and, and this legislature has never really had to face what I did under Governor Bredesen, which actually was take people off of roles or actually look at someone in the eye and say, no, we're not going to cover your serious problem. And that's what the legislature is going to have to do if they're, in fact, going to keep this cost under control as they move forward. Not that they can't do it, not that they won't have the political fortitude to do it, but it is difficult because health care of all the issues we touched down there is one that really is an emotional issue for most everyone because when you are in the healthcare system, you're there because you're most vulnerable you ever be in your life. Uh, and so I, I think it's going to be tough for this legislature, I really do. When we talked to Governor Haslam before he left office, mm-hmm. he said that uh, Insure Tennessee, the, the, the failure of it was one of his biggest regrets. I, I mean, what has it meant for the state since then? You know, do you feel like uh, we, there's just been this sort of separation of camps, right? Republicans don't even want to consider anything remotely close to that. Democrats want to say every argument should be Medicaid expansion. Right. And so there's no real discussion going on. It's just people kind of going to their separate parts. Right. And that's, and that's a shame because, to be honest with you, some states that did expand are now having to contract. Mm-hmm. I, I, it's not so easy as it sounds good. Let's just let everybody come on the program. Sure. The reality is it's going to have to be very, very tightly controlled and well managed. And I think that's, you know, for the 10 care bureaucrats, they get criticized all the time, but they're doing their job by keeping that cost under control. I mean, I was in many meetings uh, when Governor Haslam was placed, and the first thing he looked at the 10 care director, Dr. Long, and said was, don't let this destroy my budget. Hmm. I mean, that was his number one concern. Hmm. 
Do you think there is any environment where there will be some form of providing coverage for people? I mean, I, I know, <clears throat> I think it was in 17, you proposed the, the three-star mm-hmm. healthy task force, mm-hmm. which was kind of looking at a limited version of expansion, right? To provide coverage to uh, people ab- certain, above certain levels of the, the poverty line, including veterans and, mm-hmm. and people mm-hmm. with mental health issues. Mm-hmm. Do you think there is a temperature for that in the legislature these days, or, or do you not know? Well, it was certainly something I wanted to pursue, mm-hmm. and we didn't garner enough support. And and I believe me, I understand why the legislature is cautious. But I do think uh, that most people, if you talk to them, would see that we do have a desperate need, just not in the state of Tennessee, but as a nation, to address mental health issues, which we're not adequately addressing. And then, you know, most everyone has a, has a tender heart for those who have served their country. So I thought that was the most reasonable approach to the beginning. Um, we'll see what the legislature chooses to do. I want to switch gears to uh, a little bit more, uh, less substance-based. Let's do that. (laughs) Um, During your time, I'm sure you were watching what was going on in the House of Representatives as Speaker Cassida came into office and then eventually was uh, resigned from, from the speakership. Take me through what your you know, what your reactions were as all of this was kind of breaking, you know, uh, very quickly. It it, it happened. I think we reported a story once in a matter of 17 days. He went from being, you know, in favor to then suddenly uh, being uh, the subject of a no confidence vote. Mm -hmm. What, What were you thinking while that was going on? Well, you know, honestly, I was bleeding for the body as a whole. Um, it hurts. I, I believe in that institution is, and, you know, um, I have to say that uh, Glenn Cass and I ran against each other for speakership. So, you know, we had that history. But I will tell you, when that race was over, the first person at my door to say, I'm 100% behind you and help you every way I can was Glenn. And he certainly was. And he was. While watching him. yeah, Right. And so, you know, there's a part for me that feels uh, uh, sorrow um, that that it didn't work out. But I think it's a lesson, especially to all young people, uh, that that leadership comes with a lot of responsibility. And uh, the old saying, power corrupts, it it can. It really can. You always have to keep yourself under control and under check when you're in a position of authority. Um, And it's it's a difficult thing to do. So we we sort of had heard, um, as all this was happening, from from a handful of members who were like, you know, I could have told you this was going to happen. You know, you obviously were there on the day he was sworn in. What was it? January 8th. You were, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. presiding over the house for the last time. Right. Did you have any thought that this is all going to, you know, burn down? (laughs) Was that ever on your radar, knowing that he was a, a much different person than you? Well, we did have different styles, but, but you know, people could criticize my style as well. So, you know, it's just um, – and you serve at a time in, in the history of the state. I mean, my, I think my time was right then. I mean, I think I was the right person to transit. You know, our party was the minority party for so long, and my job was trying to help them – come out of just being a political party to being the governing party of the state. And that comes with a lot of responsibility and, and, and it takes someone that can, can get a lot of people working in the same way, moving everybody together. Um, and I, I think Glenn came at a different time. He came when we were the, not just the majority, but the super majority. And so I think he was there at the height of political power. And I think that influenced a lot of what he decided to do, maybe not for the best of the body. Another uh, controversy that has um, it sort of dominated a lot of the news this session was was David Byrd. And that news broke uh, 
under your time as speaker, and you were very quick to say uh, Representative Byrd should resign from the legislature. Um, for for listeners who aren't familiar, he he's a, a House representative who was accused by three women of, of sexually assaulting them when they were teenagers, and he was their basketball coach um, at school. Um, that There was a story that broke by WSMV last year, last spring, and um, Speaker Harwell at the time was was very quick to say he should resign. And and he still hasn't. So he's still in the legislature. Um, Speaker Cassida did not call for him to resign and, in fact, supported his reelection efforts. And um, Speaker Sexton has said he, he doesn't believe that, that David Byrd should be expelled from the legislature. What do you think should happen right now? I mean, he's still there. Well, <clears throat> I, uh, two prong. I think first of all, I, uh, I think Coach Bird is is a good man now. I don't think any of these things would happen in his life now. And and you know that's people go through things in their twenties that they would never think about doing in their fifties and sixties, right? So let me just preface sure. my remarks by saying I think he is a good person, and and I I think there is an element of forgiveness and and an ability to move on. I, I felt that it was best for both him and his district uh, to resign. That's what I felt best, and I and I called and talked to him about that, and I think we left on very good terms. Um, I think at this point we're at a different position because he's run re-election, um, and I think that the, now the body is, is – Speaker Sexton is looking into the idea of can you hold someone responsible for something they didn't do while they were in office? And I think that's a very legitimate question that the attorney general needs to weigh in on. Um, so, again, I think it's ultimately Coach's decision. I think – the people reelected him, and that needs to be taken into consideration. At this point, do you still stand by your call for him to resign? Like, would you still say I think he he should step down, or is do you believe that because he was reelected that that isn't the case anymore? You know, ultimately that's his decision. I mean, I personally think it would be better for those involved uh, if he chose other ways to serve his community. You, there is now a new speaker. Uh, you talked about Cameron Sexton. Um, you know, what are you uh, looking from him uh, as he kind of looks to, uh, I guess, not right the ship, but you know, create some stability in, in a house that has had turmoil in the last few years? Mm-hmm. Well, he has his own unique style. Uh, he holds his cards close to his chest, and I think he's going to be a very uh, calm leader for the house at a time when they would desperately need that. You know, I used to be asked all the time that was being speaker, and you might have heard this, like hurting a bunch of cats. You've heard that saying before, because, you know, and I always used to laugh and say, yeah, they may be cats, but they're my cats, and I love every one of them, right? And I do. I respect every one of those people. Um, But I was with a dear friend of mine who uh, uh, was the speaker of the house in in South Carolina at the time, and he, I asked him, I said, do you get all the time that being the speaker of the house is like hurting a bunch of cats? He said, yeah, I do. I said, well, do you agree? He said, no. And I said, what do you think being the Speaker of a State House is like? He said, well, it's exactly like being the groundkeeper in a cemetery. (laughs) And I said, groundkeeper in a cemetery? He said, oh, yeah, yeah. He said, there's a lot of folks underneath you. And nobody's listening. <laughs> and I will tell you, at times you feel that way when you're speaker because you're trying to get all these people to get on one page to accomplish the good for the state. But but I will quickly add that it was it was probably one of the highest honors of my professional life to be able to be speaker. And I think Cameron Sexton is going to do a good job. And, and I think Glenn Castle will continue to serve his district and, and do a good job um, for the state. What's next for you? I, well, you know what? I'm enjoying the things that I'm doing. Um, I'd, I'd love to continue to be involved in the political process, um, and we will see. I truly loved public policy, and I, I think that, um, you know, I left our state 
in my humble opinion, better than I found it. And I, I think we put some reform in the state house that can have long-term impact for our state. Have you taken up any new hobbies since you've gotten out of office or traveled anywhere exciting you never had time to go to before? <laughs> you know, and it was nice like, to be able to like uh, plan on a spring break because I never was able to take spring break <laughs> sure. when my kids yeah. were because I was always in session. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's going to be nice. And uh, I've started exercising a little bit more because believe me, being down there is not conducive to getting up in the morning and exercising. No, so that's not. a good thing. Last question I have for you. Uh, you also ran for governor yes. uh, against Bill Lee, who uh-huh. is now in office. Uh-huh. What's been your assessment so far of his time in office? Well, I, I absolutely wish him the best. I mean, he is our governor for our state. We want to see him be successful if he is, our state is. Um, uh, our styles are a little different. Um, and, um, I, you know, I think because I was kind I was spent a lot of time in the public sector. I just saw more of a need for openness and what was happening. Um, but, but you know, he, I think he'll do a good job for our state. You know, he inherited a state that is extremely well managed. And, and quite frankly, if he stays the course, we're going to be in great shape as a state moving forward. Well, thank you again for, for coming in and, okay. and talking to us. Thank you. And, I, and I don't I don't think we mentioned this, but for all of our listeners who aren't familiar, Beth Harwell was the first woman elected uh, Speaker of the House in Tennessee. And I, I don't think there was ever a female Speaker of the Senate either. So I guess you were first Speaker period in the legislature. Yeah. Um, thank you for coming on. You bet. Thank you. And finally, our notebook dump. As some legislators, including Republicans, are asking questions about why Tennessee has $732 million in unused funds for the temporary assistance for needy families, federal block grant, Governor Bill Lee now says uh, he wants to learn more about ways to use this money and potentially explore other uses for the block grant. Democratic lawmakers are asking questions about a $4 million fund that was tucked away into the budget uh, late during the legislative session of 2019. Uh, They would like to hear from the Economic and Community Development Commissioner, as well as the Commissioner of Finance and Administration, to appear before a House hearing on the subject. This week, Governor Bill Lee's office begins its annual budget hearings, hearing from all of the state departments about what they need in the upcoming year, asking them questions about their proposed budgets. And finally, after frustrating answers from the Department of Safety and Homeland Security, Senator Paul Bailey, during a recent legislative hearing, uh, interrupted and called the department's assessment of driver's license wait times, quote, BS. The wait times throughout the state have been long as uh, the state grapples with an influx of people going to get their licenses because of the looming real ID requirement uh, from the federal government. But wait times seem to be a recurring issue dating back to at least Governor Phil Bredesen's administration. That's it for Grand Divisions this week. As always, you can find us on iTunes or Spreaker or wherever you get your podcasts. Please continue to rate us. Uh, It really helps uh, with uh, the adding of the podcast to other people's attention. Um, As always, we look forward to any feedback that you can send us. You can find us on Twitter at Grand Divisions 3. And we will be back next week with a regular uh, episode. As always, thanks for listening. I'm Joel Ebert. And I'm Natalie Allison. See you next week.